Hello, Great Minds. It's Tuesday, and that means it's time for Drinks with Great Minds in History. So this week was supposed to be the Benedict Arnold episode, but Cullen recently released a new series to Patreon as part of a moment with my high school history teacher. Entering now into moments in military history, Cullen walks us through various pivot points in our shared military past. The first one I aired was on the Battle of Lepanto, and I thought what better than this to release to the main feed, as it is just another round on Philip II. The Battle of Lepanto was not only a pivot point in Western history, in European history, in the conflict between the Islamic and Christian worlds. It was a pivot point in Philip's legacy, as we covered on the show. It elevated him to hero status, to the champion of Catholicism, and he and the Catholic League's victory certainly made him take on the mantle of being the Catholic champion of Europe. So, I hope that you enjoy this Patreon exclusive that I'll be releasing to the main feed this week on the Battle of Lepanto by Cullen, our poet of Aragon, my high school history teacher, Mr. Sabbatical No More. Support the show over on Patreon land, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Hello, great minds, and welcome to another Patreon episode of A Moment with My High School History Teacher. This is a wonderful opportunity given to me in which I, Colin Farrell's ex-former high school history teacher, get a chance to spin a few more lectures towards my former student, now turned good friend, Mr. DGMH. I'm I'm especially thankful that he invited me to join him along in creating these podcast adventures. adventures. Uh, Of course, uh, if you're enjoying the show, uh, we hope you might continue to support these Patreon shorts, and we're so glad you decided to become or stay a valuable Patreon member who helps make this show possible. So really from all of us, thank you. But first... Uh, Today's topic, Lepanto, the defeat of the Turkish Navy, 1571. Oh, and I should sing the song. It's some history for you, a reason to drink for me. It's the history of the great minds that made history come to be. All right, so this is a series for our Patreon listeners whereby I share a few pivotal military skirmishes or moments in military history that may or may not have affected the path of human history. As Zach and I... Uh, are often fond of saying, Zach will tell you, he's not very much into military history, but I'm quite the opposite. Uh, I could have minored in that venue during my undergrad, and I've always been drawn to World War I, World War II, and uh, all things uh, that have to do with military history. So I find myself equally as fascinated by things like of, of all different time periods as well, be it knights in the Middle Ages, ship-to-ship combat in the high seas during the Age of Sail, or even the Mongolian hordes who scoured Eurasian continent on horseback, even up to the time of Napoleonics and infantry line combat, you name it. It's, if it has to do with fighting, uh, I probably either studied it or, or, um, you know, it's something I enjoy. For those of you who may not know my background, I teach high school world history and by world history, I'm talking 5,000 years, a swath of different uh, people, cultures, conflicts from every corner of the globe. And as I tell my students, uh, all the world is my subject and all of its time periods are my domain, which means, you know, really to do what I do, I have to know a little bit about something, uh, not too much depth, but enough, like what do they say, uh, content a mile wide and an inch deep. 
So especially uh, when it comes to military matters and politics, that's that's always stuff that uh, that I, I enjoy. So where to start? Well, I picked up a few books on the great battles, and maybe I can have Zach later put some of them in the show notes. But I figured I'd dive right in to talk to you today about uh, Lepanto. Uh, to give you some contextualization, ever since the fall of the Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire, based in Constantinople, had been the through gate between Asia and Europe, connecting the Silk Road both between East and Western hemispheres. All of that exchange came crashing down with the fall of Constantinople in the year 1453, when the Sultan Mehmed II of the Ottoman Empire, after sieging the once thought impregnable walls for 55 days, toppled the the city and renamed uh, Constantinople into Istanbul, which means the seat of Islam. Uh, turned St. Sophia's, the Hagia Sophia, this massive church, dome church, into a mosque, and then formed the crushing sultanate that would become the Ottoman Empire, which would then rule the Middle East for the next five, six hundred years. Now, the Europeans would have to pay heavy taxes and duties on all spices coming across the Middle East. And we see that only a few dec- decades later, Columbus and his boys and the other explorers uh, will all be hopping hopping around to circum, you know, circumvent or discover alternative trading routes to avoid the Turks by using their navies. And the Turkish navy was quite daunting, but it wasn't like they were the only show in town. The Genoans, the Venetian navies, they were all still intact, and they were not happy with sharing the Mediterranean Sea with these Ottoman adversaries. So the Catholic Holy League was a coalition of Catholic states comprised of Spain and Italian territories, several independent Italian city-states, and a couple sovereign military orders, like the Knights of Malta, are arranged by Pope Pius V to band together against the Ottoman Turks and challenge them directly in a naval showdown. Well, all members of the alliance then viewed the Ottoman navy as a significant threat, both to the security of maritime trade in the Mediterranean, as well as the security of the continent of Europe itself. Uh, Spain was the largest financial contributor, but the Spanish preferred to preserve most of their galleys for their own wars of nearby sub uh, sub sultanates of the Barbary Coast and like Gibraltar and off the coast of uh, Northwest Africa. But who would lead these uh, Christian this this Holy League in battle? Well, one of the great minds featured that you might think would be if Spain is going to be a big contributor might be Philip II of Spain, though he was too busy focusing on the New World and to be bothered to be turning east or getting his hands dirty, and you don't risk putting a king out on the water to lead a battle fleet. So instead, Spain's, and and also Spain's economy really could not afford to go it alone. So enter his brother. Uh, Philip II's brother was named John of Austria, another Habsburg, uh, aka known as Don Juan, uh, Philip's half-brother, the illegitimate son of Emperor Charles V, who had been named the leader of this naval coalition. And after long discussions among his allies, the fleet moved to Sicily, where it would rally up and uh, and other Catholic nations' ships would join. Uh, On the Turkish side, we have this uh, naval leader called Mohammed uh, Salak, also known as nickname was Sirocco. Uh, Sirocco. Sirocco? Um, and there was also a uh, military strategist by the, I guess, I can't remember. Oh, Ali Pasha, I guess. And he was kind of uh, one of the guys that helped them in the ground game. I don't know how good he was in the, in the Navy here. 
But the third interesting character uh, that we should mention is the uh, Italian defector, Uluge Ali, U-L-U-G, Uluge, is that how you say his name? Uluge was an Italian adventurer who'd formerly been a monk and a fisherman, and then he converted to Islam and took command of a band of North African corsairs, and then, of course, raided up and down the sea coast of Italy. So uh, definitely he became public enemy number one and uh, very much hated. So uh, anyway, they end up going over to Cyprus, and uh, and that's where they're going to meet up in the, the battle. It's I guess it's near the Peloponnesian Peninsula, I guess, in Greece is where Lepanto is. And in 1571, the two uh, navies are going to smash into each other. Now, I should, without going into the minutia of the battle, I'm just going to focus on three pivotal points that allow the Christian soldiers to win. Don Juan soldiers, by this point in the in the 1500s, plate armor and steel. It used to be Damascus steel was during the Crusades was all the rage, but now the Spanish are making high carbon steel that's really strong. And their armor, when they would board the Turkish ships, they were much more protected than their Turkish counterparts. So uh, morale on the Christian ships was also rather high because a lot of these people that were part of the Italian fleet were free men. And whereas a lot of the Turkish galleys, I guess this would be my second thing, were that they were using captured Christian slaves as oarsmen. And during the battle, when these guys were rowing and they realized that their liberators were attacking up above and maybe going to, you know, raid raid the ship that they're on, these oarsmen were like, screw it, we're not going to row. I mean, just, you know, let, let these let these Christians do their work up above. And so having Christian oarsmen as slaves uh, definitely will hurt the Turkish ships. Um, and Turkish, the third thing to mention is the Turkish ships had fewer cannons compared to the Christians. The Venetian galizas, which were made out of oars and sails, were much more nimble and could get in between the Arab uh, ships. And, and of course, the guns were also on pivots, which could swing both fore and aft. So uh, whereas the guns were more fixed in the Ottoman ships, having guns on swivels allowed these caravels or whatever to get in between the the Turkish ships. And so that made a huge difference. And and so it seemed that in the end, there were there was three columns that will smash into each other. Uh, each side will split their force into three. And then the center force will pivot. I think the the Europeans did something kind of sneaky where they took two of their columns and rammed into one of the uh, Arab columns and uh, outgunned the Turks. Uh, the Turks were really in trouble because they didn't have the cannon fire. And so they relied on ramming the Allied fleet to maneuver. And like I mentioned, the Chris, Chris, Christian oarsmen, they just kind of sat on their hands or stopped trying as hard. And that made it so the Turk ships were not as maneuverable. And um, Ali Pasha's, uh, the one tactician guy I was telling you, uh, his ship gets boarded against Don Juan's orders. He, he tells them, don't, don't kill their leaders. And, of course, they cut the, the dude's head off and put it up on display on the mast of the Spanish flagship. And this, of course, demoralizes the Turkish soldiers. And so the Turks will end up losing 180 galleys and 60 galleots and... Some uh, there's only there's damage to the Christian ships was quite minimal. Uh, I think only 11 Christian galleys were destroyed, so it was a total mismatch. The Turks will lose about 30,000 men, 
And the Christians will lose 9,000 from you know boarding and whatnot. But among one of the uh, 16,000 Christian wounded was Miguel de Cervantes. I'm probably mispronouncing this. Sorry, Spanish people. But if you know uh, Miguel, Miguel was the guy who will later in life write Don Quixote. And he was a soldier on board uh, one of the Spanish galleons, the Marquesa. And although he was stricken with fever, he refused to stay down below. And he will end up coming up uh, above deck and will join the thick of the fighting. He will get shot twice, uh, wounds in the chest, and a third rendered to his left arm, which will render his left arm useless for the rest of his life. But I thought that was kind of a neat uh, little you know, uh, literature crossover that uh, the writer of Don Quixote, Miguel de Cervantes, was actually there. And the Turks will, uh, oddly enough, because the Turkish Empire, the Ottoman Empire is so powerful and vast, it's kind of funny. Uh, Europe struts around like they had this major victory, and they did. But the Turks will rebuild this navy within six months that they lost, and the Ottomans will reassert their naval supremacy. But I think what the, the just the takeaway of this would be was to show that, hey, the Ottomans can be, you know, can be hit. You know, to kill a king, you have to hit a king. And and that's sort of what the uh, the Navy did. The, the Europeans sunk the uh, the Muslim Navy. And it was more of a psychological boost, psychological victory to Christendom to show like, yeah, we maybe lost Constantinople a hundred years before, but, you know, Europe is not uh, going to just lay over or roll over and play dead. So, so anyway, that's, that's the significance of Lepanto, Lepanto. And uh, that's all for now. But in the meantime, if you head over to our Facebook or Instagram page where we post daily updates on historical content, such as show memes, links, historical surveys, or questions where our listeners weigh in, if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a good review on whatever medium you downloaded us from, as it helps provide us feedback as well as grow the algorithm of future listeners. I'd also invite you to enjoy the other specials currently featured on Zach's podcast efforts, including A Twist of Psych with Dr. Sherry Valencic, Shots Heard Around the World, as well as the History of the Margins, spinoffs, Patreon content such as Moments with My High School History Teacher, The 30 Year Old War, Pete Talks Portugal, Colin Chats China, What Am I Teaching, and a whole host of other t- historical tidbits and tradecraft. We hope you enjoyed the show. Cheers! <laughs>